Chapter 8 We Enter Kukuanaland From King Solomon's Mines by H. Ryder Haggard All that afternoon we traveled on along the magnificent roadway, which headed steadily in a northwesterly direction. Infidus and Scraga walked with us, but their followers marched about one hundred paces ahead. Infidus, I said at length, who made this road? It was made, my lord, of old time. None know how or when, not even the wise woman Gagool, who has lived for generations. We are not old enough to remember its making. None can make such roads now, but the king lets no grass grow upon it. And whose are the writings on the wall of the caves through which we have passed on the road? I asked, referring to the Egyptian-like sculptures we had seen. My lord, the hands that made the road wrote the wonderful writings. We know not who wrote them. When did the Kukuwana race come into this country? My lord, the race came down here like the breath of a storm ten thousand moons ago, from the great lands which lie there beyond. And he pointed to the north. They could travel no farther. So say the old voices of our fathers that have come down to us, the children. And so says Gagool, the wise woman, the smeller out of witches, because of the great mountains which ring in the land. And he pointed to the snow-clad peaks. The country, too, was good. So they settled here, and grew strong and powerful. And now our numbers are like the sea-sand. And when Twala the king calls up his regiments, their plumes cover the plain, as far as the eye of man can reach. And if the land is walled in with mountains, who is there for the regiments to fight with? Nay, my lord, the country is open there. And again he pointed towards the north. And now and again, warriors sweep down upon us in clouds from a land we know not, and we slay them. It is the third part of the life of man since there was a war. Many thousands died in it, but we destroyed those who came to eat us up. So since then, there has been no war. Your warriors must grow weary of resting on their spears. My lord, there was one war, just after we destroyed the people that came down upon us. But it was a civil war. Dog eat dog. How was that? My lord, the king, my half-brother, had a brother born at the same birth, and of the same woman. It is not our custom, my lord, to let twins live. The weakest must always die. But the mother of the king hid away the weakest child, which was born the last, for her heart yearned over it, and the child is Twala the king. I am his younger brother, born of another wife. Well, my lord, Kaffa, our father, died when we came to manhood, and my brother Emotu was made king in his place, and for a space reigned and had a son by his favorite wife. When the babe was three years old, just after the great war, during which no man could sow or reap. A famine came upon the land, and the people murmured because of the famine, and looked round like a starved lion for something to rend. Then it was that Gagool, the wise and terrible woman, who does not die, proclaimed to the people, saying, The king Emotu is no king. And at the time Emotu was sick with a wound, and lay in his hut, unable to move. Then Gagool went into a hut, and led out Twala, my half-brother, and the twin-brother of the king, whom she had hidden since she was born among the caves and the rocks, and stripping the mucha off his loins, showed the people of the Kukuwanas the mark of the sacred snake coiled round his waist, 
wherewith the eldest son of the king is marked at birth, and cried out loud, Behold, your king, whom I have saved for you even to this day. And the people, being mad with hunger, and altogether bereft of reason and the knowledge of truth, cried out, The king, the king! But I knew that it was not so, for Himotu, my brother, was the elder of the twins, and was the lawful king. And just as the tumult was at its height, Imotu the king, although he was very sick, came crawling from his hut, holding his wife by the hand, and followed by his little son Ignosi. "'What is this noise?' he asked. "'Why cry ye, the king?' Then Twala, his own brother, born of the same woman, and in the same hour, ran to him, and taking him by the hair, stabbed him through the heart with his knife. And the people, being fickle, and ever ready to worship the rising sun, clapped their hands and cried, Twala is king! Now we know that Twala is king! And what became of his wife and her son Ignosi? Did Twala kill them too? Nay, my lord, when she saw that her lord was dead, she seized the child with a cry and ran away. Two days afterwards she came to a crawl very hungry, and none would give her milk or food now that her lord the king was dead, for all men hate the unfortunate. But at nightfall a little child, a girl, crept out and brought her to eat, and she blessed the child, and went on toward the mountains with her boy before the sun rose again, where she must have perished, for none have seen her since, nor the child Ignosi. Then if this child Ignosi had lived, he would be the true king of the Kukuana people. That is so, my lord, the sacred snake is round his middle. If he lives, he is the king, but alas... He is long dead. See, my lord. And he pointed to a vast collection of huts surrounded with a fence, which was in turn surrounded by a great ditch that lay on the plain beneath us. That is the crawl where the wife of Imotu was last seen with the child Ignosi. It was there that we shall sleep tonight, if indeed, he added doubtfully, my lords sleep at all upon this earth. When we are among the Kukuanas, my good friend Infadus, "'We do as the Kukuanas do,' I said, majestically, "'and I turned round suddenly to address Good, "'who was tramping along sullenly behind, "'his mind fully occupied with unsatisfactory attempts "'to keep his flannel shirt from flapping up in the evening breeze, "'and to my astonishment butted into Mbopa, "'who was walking along immediately behind me, "'and had very evidently been listening with the greatest interest "'to my conversation with Infidus.' The expression on his face was most curious, and gave the idea of a man who was struggling with partial success to bring something long ago forgotten back into his mind. All this while we had been pressing on at a good rate down towards the undulating plain beneath. The mountains we had crossed now loomed high above us, and Sheba's breasts were modestly veiled in diaphanous wreaths of mist. As we went on, the country grew more and more lovely. The vegetation was luxuriant, without being tropical. The sun was bright and warm, but not burning, and the gracious breeze blew softly along the odorous slopes of the mountains. And indeed, this new land was little less than an earthly paradise, its beauty and natural wealth, and in climate, I've never seen its like. The Transvaal is a fine country, but it is nothing to Kukuana land. So soon as we started... Infidus had dispatched a runner on to warn the people of the crawl, which, by the way, was in his military command, 
of our arrival. This man had departed at an extraordinary speed, which Infidus had informed me he would keep up all the way, as running was an exercise much practiced among his people. The result of this message now became apparent. When we got within two miles of the crawl, we could see that company after company of men was issuing from its gates and marching toward us. Sir Henry laid his hand upon my arm and remarked that it looked as though we were going to meet with a warm reception. Something in his tone attracted Infidus's attention. This regiment is one under my command and comes out by my orders to greet you. I nodded easily, though I was not quite easy in my mind. About half a mile from the gates of the crawl was a long stretch of rising ground sloping gently upwards from the road, and on this the companies formed up. It was a splendid sight to see them, each company about three hundred strong, charging swiftly up the slope with flashing spears and waving plumes and taking their appointed place. By the time we came to the slope, twelve such companies, or in all, three thousand six hundred men, had passed out and taken up their positions along the road. Presently we came to the first company and were able to gaze in astonishment on the most magnificent set of men I have ever seen. They were all men of mature age, mostly veterans of about forty, and not one of them was under six feet in height, whilst many were six foot three or four. They wore upon their heads heavy black plumes of sakabula feathers, like those which adorned our guides. Round their waists, and also beneath their right knee, were bound circlets of white oxtails, and in their left hands were round shields about twenty inches across. These shields were very curious. The framework consisted of an iron plate beaten out thin, over which was stretched milk-white oxhide. The weapons that each man bore were simple, but most effective, consisting of a short and very heavy two-edged spear with a wooden shaft, the blade being about six inches across at the widest part. These spears were not used for throwing, but like the Zulu Bagwan, or stabbing Asagai, were for close quarters fighting only, when the wound inflicted by them was terrible. In addition to these Bagwans, each man also carried three large and heavy knives, each knife weighing about two pounds. One knife was fixed in the oxtail girdle, and the other two at the back of the round shield. These knives, which are called tolas by the Kukuwanas, take the place of the throwing Asagai of the Zulus. A Kukuwana warrior can throw them with great accuracy at a distance of 50 yards, and it is their custom on charging to hurl a volley of them at the enemy as they come to close quarters. Each company stood like a collection of bronze statues till we were opposite to it, when, at a signal given by its commanding officer, who, distinguished by a leopard-skin cloak, stood some paces in front, every spear was raised into the air and from three hundred throats sprang forth with a sudden roar the royal salute of Coom. Then when we had passed, the company formed up behind us, and followed us towards the crawl, till at last the whole regiment of the greys, so called from their white shields, the crack corps of the Kukuwana people, was marching behind us with a tread that shook the ground. At length, branching off from Solomon's great road, we came to the wild fosse surrounding the crawl, which was at least a mile round, and fenced with a strong palisade of piles formed of the trunks of trees. At the gateway this fosse was spanned by a primitive drawbridge which was let down by the guard to allow us to pass in. The crawl was exceedingly well laid out. 
Through the center ran a wide pathway intersected at right angles by other pathways, so arranged as to cut the huts into square blocks, each block being the quarters of a company. The huts were dome-shaped and built, like those of the Zulus, of a framework of wattle, beautifully thatched with grass, but unlike the Zulu huts, they had doorways through which one could walk. Also, they were much larger and surrounded with a veranda about six feet wide, beautifully paved with powdered lime trodden hard. All along each side of the wide pathway that pierced the crawl were ranged hundreds of women, brought out by curiosity to look at us. These women are, for a native race, exceedingly handsome. They are tall and graceful, and their figures are wonderfully fine. But what struck us most was their exceedingly quiet, dignified air. They were as well-bred in their way as the habitués of a fashionable drawing-room, and in this respect differ from the Zulu women, and their cousins the Maasai who inhabit the district behind Zanzibar. Their curiosity had brought them out to see us, but they allowed no rude expressions of wonder or savage criticism to pass their lips as we trudged wearily in front of them. Not even when old Infidus, with a surreptitious motion of the hand, pointed out the crowning wonder of poor goods beautiful white legs, did they allow the feeling of intense admiration which evidently mastered their minds to find expression. They fixed their dark eyes upon their snowy loveliness. Good skin is exceedingly white. And that was all. But this was quite enough for good, who is modest by nature. When we got to the center of the crawl, Infidus halted at the door of a large hut, which was surrounded at a distance by a circle of smaller ones. "'Enter, sons of the stars,' he said, in a magniloquent voice, "'and deign to rest a while in our humble habitations. "'A little food shall be brought to you, "'so that ye shall have no need to draw your belts tight from hunger. "'Some honey and some milk, and an ox or two, and a few sheep. "'Not much, my lords, but still a little food.' "'It is good,' said I. "'Infidus, we are weary with traveling through realms of air. "'Now let us rest.' Accordingly, we entered into the hut, which we found amply prepared for our comfort. Couches of tanned skins were spread for us to rest on, and water was placed for us to wash in. Presently, we heard a shouting outside, and stepping to the door, saw a line of damsels bearing milk and roasted mealies, and honey in a pot. Behind these were some youths driving a fat young ox. We received the gifts, and then one of the young men took the knife from his girdle, and dexterously cut the ox's throat. In ten minutes it was dead, skinned, and cut up. The best of the meat was then cut off for us, and the rest I, in the name of our party, presented to the warriors round us, who took it off and distributed the white men's gift. Umbopa set to work, with the assistance of an extremely prepossessing young woman, to boil our portion in a large earthenware pot over a fire, which was built outside the hut. And when it was nearly ready, we sent a message to Infidus, and asked him, and Scraga, the king's son, to join us. Presently they came, and sitting down upon little stools, of which there were several about the hut, for the Kukuwana do not in general squat upon their haunches like the Zulus. The old gentleman was most affable and polite, but it struck us that the young one regarded us with suspicion. He had, together with the rest of the party, been overawed by our white appearance and by our magic properties, but it seemed to me that on discovering that we ate, drank, and slept like other mortals, his awe was beginning to wear off and be replaced by a sullen suspicion 
which made us feel rather uncomfortable. After supper we filled our pipes and lit them, a proceeding which filled Infadus and Scraga with astonishment. The Kukuwanas were evidently unacquainted with the divine uses of tobacco smoke. The herb was grown among them extensively, but, like the Zulus, they only used it for snuff and quite failed to identify in its new form. Presently I asked Infidus when we were to proceed on our journey, and was delighted to learn that preparations had been made for us to leave on the following morning, messengers having already left to inform Twala the king of our coming. It appeared that Twala was at his principal place, known as Lu, making ready for the great annual feast which was held in the first week of June. At this gathering, all the regiments, with the exception of certain detachments left behind for garrison purposes, were brought up and paraded before the king, and the great annual witch-hunt were to start at dawn, and Infidus, who was to accompany us, expected that we should, unless we were detained by accident or by swollen rivers, reach Lou on the night of the second day. When they had given us this information, our visitors bade us good night, and, having arranged to watch turn and turn about, three of us flung ourselves down and slept the sweet sleep of the weary, whilst the fourth sat up on the lookout for possible treachery.